This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, January 10th, 2022. I'm Caleb Brown. As many state legislatures head back to work, making sure to balance the good years and bad to maximize stability is always a challenge. Kurt Couchman is a senior fellow in fiscal policy at Americans for Prosperity. We discuss the unique challenges faced by states and how he believes they should keep the fiscal ship level. States overwhelmingly are supposed to have balanced budgets. And... Uh, there are many gimmicks that states use to sort of avoid really having balanced budgets. They often leave themselves in some really bad situations with regard to bonded debt uh, that encumbers future legislatures when it comes to appropriating funds. They have to pay those debts. They don't want their bond rating to go down. And this uh, legislature from a few years ago has really tied our hands. Uh, so how do states get out of that? How do states, uh, you know, write the fiscal ship in such a way that legislatures aren't encumbered in the future when they want to spend X, Y, or Z, but also, um, you know, don't get into too much debt and have the resources they need during downturns to uh, handle whatever might befall them? Well, Caleb, there are a whole bunch of different aspects to state budgeting. There are 49 states with balance requirements. That means a different thing in basically every state. Some of those are constitutional. Some of them are statutory. Capital budgeting, the bonded debt that you referred to, that is typically treated quite differently from the operating budget. So the proposal that we're talking about today mostly is about the operating side of the budget, uh, which doesn't even include the federal funds that have really specific strings as to what it can be used for and maintenance of effort and that sort of thing. In restructuring uh, state spending, what do you generally propose? The proposal is for states to balance their budgets over the business cycle. That is to use structural balance. A number of other countries uh, have uh, specific provisions in their constitutions and their laws to do this. Switzerland, Sweden, Germany are a couple examples. In the U.S. states, there are a number of states that sort of do this on an ad hoc basis by using the rainy day funds. They draw them down during recessions or other emergencies, and then they build them back up during the good years. There's a range of management quality across the different states. And so this proposal is to set in place a rule that allows spending to grow at a certain rate. This tends to reduce the ability of legislators to overspend during the good years. And by that same token, it allows them to deficit spend during recessions when your economy is soft and you still have all of these um, these needs out there and people are also demanding unemployment benefits and Medicaid and you know childhood nutrition programs and all the rest of that, the safety nets. Um, but the difference, the main difference right now is that um, when we get into recessions, states kind of scramble to figure out what they're going to do. Some raise taxes, some cut spending, some do a combination of things, and some hope and pray for federal bailouts. Federal bailouts come with strings. Those strings erode state sovereignty. Those strings stick around long, long after the funding is gone. As, as we've seen with COVID, some of the money that was distributed to states came with the uh, requirement, the constitutionally dubious requirement uh, that states not lower taxes with the money. Absolutely. And this happened under the Affordable Care Act as well with the Medicaid expansion that the Supreme Court struck down. 
you know, you imagine that state lawmakers should, that is our idealized vision of state lawmakers as good stewards of taxpayer money, you imagine that they would, during the good times, put money away into some sort of rainy day fund. Absolutely. And then during a recession that they would spend down those reserves in order to meet their obligations when the tax revenue is not coming in. And that's not how it works because that's not what the incentives are. Well, it depends on the state. Sure. It depends on the state. Some states do this. Uh, I've talked to a number of state legislators and that's exactly what their states do. And I've talked to other state legislators and yeah, they just, they spend as much as the revenue they have coming in during the good years. And then they're kind of left in this unpleasant situation when the recession comes as it inevitably does. Uh, and so a lot of states, you know, they end up with these durable tax increases and temporary spending cuts. So they kind of ratchet up. Uh, I grew up in Pennsylvania and live in Virginia. So uh, both competitive states. And so sometimes that sort of thing happens. But in other states like New York and New Jersey, I mean, it's tax increases, tax increases, tax increases. And they never really grapple with the underlying drivers of their excessive spending growth. And these, some of these states just spend way above what other states do. Uh, and there's not really a clear reason that they do that, except that they're not disciplined. So what should trigger the inability of a government to spend during the good times? We propose a rule. Um, the rule is that spending would continue to grow along with a rolling average the last five years of uh, gross state product growth. And what that means is that you're incorporating the good years and the bad years into that growth rate. Um, and it works out so that it, it balances over the business cycle. And uh, one other thing that I think is important is to make sure there's a connection between the spending and the revenue. If you just try to control spending uh, without controlling or without linking it to revenue in some way, then you might control spending. But if you're not also um, linking that to revenue, then that doesn't necessarily solve your deficit and debt problem, which in the States is really important because of bond markets. You need to give them the assurance that you're going to be solvent. You're not going to be increase, increasing your debt burden um, for operating costs unnecessarily. And, uh, and so that's really crucial to, to making this work. So all you would basically do is you would um, reduce that rolling average of GDP growth just a little bit after each deficit cumulatively. So if you have three years of deficits, it's three times that little amount. Uh, and then after surpluses, you reduce that deviation from the rolling average, go back toward it, but not above. And that makes sure that you have enough space to, you know, be fiscally solvent over the long term. So in, in some sense, what you're seeing, if you want to visualize this in positive XY territory, uh, you would see a line, which is uh, what you expect state uh, budgets to be. And then around that line, a sort of wavy, uh, like a sine curve tracking along that line, uh, indicating uh, revenues. That's exactly right. Under this proposal, spending would grow at a very smooth and predictable rate. And yeah, revenue just kind of fluctuates with the economy. And how much it fluctuates is really a function of the tax code in a state. If you tax the more stable tax bases, it'll be less volatile. If you tax things like personal and business income, it's going to be more volatile. Uh, but you can you can suppress a lot of that volatility when it comes to your policy. The, the key here is that um, by having that stable, predictable spending growth rate, you don't have to significantly alter, for short-term reasons, your spending 
or your revenue policies. So that gives you predictability and stability for the people that live in your state, the businesses that operate in your state, reduce their uncertainty and increase their prosperity. Which states get closest to this? I'm imagining North Carolina, Colorado, and maybe Oregon. Well, uh, there's 50 states, so there's a lot to choose from. Um, some of the states that I've talked to that seem to do this uh, quite well include Georgia, um, Florida does a nice job, uh, Indiana is an exemplar of good budgeting generally, uh, states that don't do such a good job, Michigan, for example, I worked for a congressman from Michigan for a number of years, and they have quarterly revenue estimating conferences that they use to adjust spending and revenue priorities on a quarterly basis. I mean. Where is the time and attention for the long-term structural problems? So many states have pension programs that, that need to be um, revisited uh, because they're not in good shape. There are any number of business climate reforms they could be pursuing with their time instead of quarterly tinkering with their tax and spending policies. Right. And these are projections, right? These are projections. It's, it's not, even, right. not even known what the revenue is going to be. Exactly. Yep. With respect to states that are, are following would follow this path, that is to say, uh, building these structures into their uh, budgeting process so that they're not overspending during the good times and they're not left in the lurch during the bad times, it would seem to demand that lawmakers have a much clearer idea of the expense of all of their programs going forward over, over a much longer time horizon. That is, the, the cuts may not have to materialize because you never opted to spend the money in the first place. That's right. Or, or you're more aware of waste in particular agencies, and maybe you want to review those on a more regular basis. Is that likely? Yeah, that's part of it. I mean, the, again, the idea is to focus on the structural relationship between spending and revenue. So if you find that your state is going to be spending above the revenue that is projected to collect, then you need to take a hard look at the programs that your state is doing, whether they add value, whether there are alternatives that could provide more value for less money. And uh, related to that, there are a number of states that you know have one budget bill that they pass every year. Um, and you would think that, hey, they, they have one budget bill that includes everything. It doesn't include everything. Uh, in Colorado, for example, which is a complicated situation because they have their uh, Taxpayer Bill of Rights, their TABOR, um, but not all of the programs that they have are within the TABOR or within their annual budget. There are cash-funded programs, essentially something like trust funds. They have dedicated revenue that, that goes in and is, is expended, and um, not all of that is captured in the budget that the legislature considers each year. Pennsylvania is the same way. Two-thirds of their spending is outside of their annual budget process. It's called the shadow budget there. And if you had a structural balance rule, then it reduces the risks and costs to those programs. They're kind of kept off of the budget because, you know, understandably, lawmakers don't want to be tinkering with things that have dedicated revenue uh, on a regular basis based on what the, the economic cycle is doing. Um, so they just totally exclude them. It, with something like this, you could bring everything on there. You could see all of the spending and all of the revenue that's flowing through under the laws of your state, and you just have a much more holistic picture as to what your state is doing for or to your residents. Right. And and the, the long-term fiscal imbalances that exist, especially in pension funds for states, 
it's very easy for states just to put off pension obligations and you know hide the essentially hide the credit card bill under the couch and not really pay attention to it and by the time they're safely out of all the they the the calculation i'm guessing for a lot of lawmakers is well i'll be safely out of office by the time this bomb goes off sure or maybe they'll be members of congress and then they can bail out their states <laughs> Kurt Couchman is a senior fellow in fiscal policy at Americans for Prosperity. Subscribe to and give a rating to the Cato Daily Podcast on your podcast platform of choice. And follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. <laughs>